Hello and welcome to One and Done TV. I am your co-host Ian Hamilton. And I am just trying to keep the peace. And I'm John Polking. And this is the podcast where we review television shows that are lost in their own one season dimension. Isn't that right, John? That is right. We have gathered all of our friends and classmates together and we're just trying to survive figuring out what these shows did, what they left behind, and ultimately what made them one and done. Today, we are talking about the Netflix teen drama thriller, Supernatural, Who's It, What's It, The Society. But before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about what we have been watching. Ian, what has been on the docket? John, I've been watching something that is frankly a bit revolutionary, and it's blowing my mind right now. It is the Office Super Fan Edition. Okay. Have you watched any of that? I've watched some of them, yeah. Because every episode is like twice as long as it normally is. So there's all these very familiar Office episodes that I'm watching, and there's just all this new content and these new storylines, and it feels different. It feels much more like documentary, mockumentary this way because there's just all of these cut storylines that you're like, what episode am I watching? And they're like, oh my God, there's this whole storyline with Dwight and the Fire Guy episode that, you know, isn't in the cut at all. Like, it's amazing. It's like more of The Office because it is. And like, <laughs> look, some of the jokes and stuff are not as good or like not as funny, but it doesn't matter because it's more and What's really interesting is some of the material they ended up cutting is like stuff that the characters would not do. Mm. Like Jim's a little meaner or something like that, where you're like, oh, I get why they cut this because this does not work for how they want Jim to look. Jim cut to season nine Jim a little earlier. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's really interesting and it's been a great chill show for me to watch and i it's just like it's like reading lord of the rings books john it's like i get more of the movies mm-hmm. i really like listening to the office ladies podcast uh jenna fisher mm-hmm. and angela kinsey breaking down the episodes and so they do talk a lot about a lot of those cut lines and how so much stuff needed to be left on the cutting room floor because of time or because of exactly what you were talking about. And it's interesting to hear their commentary, especially when they're talking about their own characters and they remember shooting stuff and being like, oh, I'm so glad we'd never went down that path. Yeah, and I've listened to a couple episodes of that and I love when they still have the script mm-hmm. and they're able to like go through it and you know just give little tidbits or even some insight into moments that are on the script but didn't necessarily come across in the show. Oh God, it's just more. What are you watching, John? So I have started to attend the Milwaukee Film Festival, which I always like to use as an opportunity to see the weirdest stuff I possibly can. And I found it. Uh, I went last night to a 9.30 p.m. screening of a movie called Unicorn Wars, 
which the log line for it is Bambi meets Apocalypse Now. And that is accurate. So it is a psychedelic R-rated animated frenzy that essentially has these cute little Care Bear-like teddy bears fighting a war against unicorns that have taken over their enchanted forest. And it is bloody and it is colorful and it's an allegory for religion and humanity and war. And frankly, it took itself a little bit too seriously at times, (laughs) but I will give it immense credit for just being bononkers. Uh, I'm still kind of processing it a little bit, but it's also in Spanish too. So, yeah. What was the animation style of it? Uh, I would say My Little Pony. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, was it kind of amazing that something with all these cute fuzzballs and My Little Pony animation would take itself very seriously? Yeah. And that was the part that I'm still just kind of getting to, especially because the first probably 20 minutes is primarily played for laughs. Like there's one shot of a teddy bear that gets out of the shower and just rubs its towel around its teddy bear penis with testicles. Okay. And then they hard cut to a yellow Care Bear-like figure that's just smoking a cigarette and sharpening a machete. So that's the beginning of it. But then it becomes the story about two brothers that are fighting on different sides of a war. And it's a lot. It's a lot of movie. But I'm very glad I saw it. Definitely sounds worth watching even if you're put off by some of it oh i was put off by a lot of it and (laughs) i'm still very happy that i was there to let it wash over me i don't think it fully worked but just give me more of that kind of chaos and i'll be happy and the listeners can let the chaos wash over them because it's showtime five four three Two, one, showtime! In 1954, Lord of the Flies asked, what would happen if a group of kids were tasked with creating their own society without any supervision? 65 years later, Netflix asked, what if that, but with phones? The ultimate answer? (laughs) Anarchy reigned as 2019's The Society was canceled after one season. Ian, had you heard of this show before? Because I watched it when it originally aired. I have not, but I have to shout out all of the people online that have told us we need to review this show. I think that this show was the most requested review from people that don't know us and don't listen to it, but are like, this is a great show. Uh, Well, bless all of you anonymous people for bringing us here, because there's a lot to dive into. This is a very high concept show. Let's just lay it out there right now. It takes place in a Connecticut town called West Ham. There's a large group of kids in the hundreds that are sort of going on an all-class, maybe even like all-school field trip to the Smoky Mountains. They're all seniors, yeah. They are, yes. And they are all taken in buses to what they think will be this sort of week-long camping or sort of nature-ish They don't field really trip. say. They don't really say. They don't really get into the details. But essentially, they get in buses, they leave, 
they come back to a version of the exact same town that they left, except everybody else is gone. And so it is just these probably 100 to 150 kids that are stuck in this alternate version of their town, and they need to figure out what happened and mostly, though, how to survive in this new world. Right. Guess what? It's called The Society because they have to build a, you guessed it, Community. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Only that falls apart pretty quickly. And uh, (laughs) everyone doesn't want to be a community, as it turns out. As it turns out, some people just want to have what they have and live in their big house alone and trust that everything will work out because they grew up rich. Yeah. And they've never needed to survive before. Yeah. It is important that this is a very sort of typically rich suburb with a lot of privilege that is being wafted around uh, both pre and post bus dumping. (laughs) Yeah. Um, These kids have probably never had to microwave their own hot pocket before. And now they've (laughs) got to do things like try to figure out how to farm. Although, okay, we'll get into this later, but it's not until like episode eight that farming even comes up. (laughs) I mean, in my notes, episode one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, I'm going still no farm, still no farm. Why aren't they farming yet? I mean, they're just <laughs> eating groceries. They're just eating chips and and whatever they can find out of the grocery store. I'm like, there's 200 of them. How long is this going to last? Yeah. There is a shelf life, no pun intended, to the way of life that they are living. But I it appreciate is... the pun. Okay, thank you. I want you. it to be intended. I'm glad, because it was. I think that they did an interesting thing here, though, where... It's clearly an alternate version of this town. They set that up pretty early that maybe it's an alternate universe. Maybe they are somewhere else in the earth. Wherever they are, it is the exact same town, but just without people. And that means that there is electricity. There is heat. So people can text each other, but they can't go on the internet necessarily. Right. It's all green texts. Yes. No uh, Apple iMessage. Yeah, so they can only text each other, they can call, but they only get voicemails for their parents and stuff like that. And every little detail that was left behind is also there. So it's not just the sort of set dressing of the outside and everything inside is different. No, it's things that people are discovering within pockets, within drawers. Every single thing has been left behind except for the people. And the one ominous message that was scrolled on the church before they left for the trip. And then when they came back, it wasn't there anymore, which was one of the reasons they realized they might be somewhere else. Yeah. In Latin, it says, you've been weighed in the balance and now are left wanting. So this show was created by Mark Kaiser, who has dealt a little bit in teen drama before he co-created party of five. That was his big credit before this. And the show was also co-developed, and the first few episodes were directed by Mark Webb, who did the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies, as well as 500 Days of Summer, which is unapologetically one of my favorite romantic comedies. Wow. Mm -hmm. Even with a modern lens, John? Even with a modern lens. I still think it works. That's fine. Come at me. I think just it, had to ask. There's issues with it and the characters' decisions in it, but 
Dang. I love that movie. I, uh, one of the things I noticed about Mark Kaiser, too, was he created oh, sorry. Show Ren. And sorry, I misspoke. His name is Christopher Kaiser. My oh, that's it. Okay, that I thought something was wrong there. Christopher Kaiser also created Julia on HBO. So, you know, been watching that. Yeah, you've been eating that up. Okay, okay. that was good. Pun I'm, intended, John. I'm feeling myself fire. today. What can I say? So this show was originally pitched by the two of them to Showtime in 2013. So it was a sort of long gestating idea. Showtime didn't pick it up. Netflix picked it up in 2018. The show aired in May of 2019, uh, where it was a bit of a hit. It had a very positive Rotten Tomato score, I think a 66 on Metacritic. So, yeah, it's a big concept, lots of potential intrigue, but the thing they do for the most part is focus on the kids and focus on their relationships. Well, I think it's funny that Right, it's a teen drama, and they're running a society, so it gives you kind of glimpses into all these different types of dramas because the kids have to take on all these different roles. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in the society, there's a bit of cop drama going on. There's Mm -hmm. a bit of ER or Grey's Anatomy going on. You know, a bit of a farming simulator, I guess. Oh, that's not a team <laughs> job. Uh, you know, it, it's funny. This show really gets to play with a lot of different genres because the kids have to do all these jobs. And I thought that was a lot of fun. Yeah, especially because they're also playing with the roles that these kids held before their move to what is then dubbed Newham from West Ham. So they're moved to Newham, uh, how those roles change, what sort of responsibilities people take on and how alliances shift and motivations turn. Right. And when you're creating a government from scratch and you're just a bunch of 18 year olds, uh, you know, a lot of selfishness gets in the way. Oh, this was a question I wanted to ask you. What kind of person do you think you'd be? If like our high school class, like think about our graduating high school class, all 460 of us were stranded in the middle of a simulation of Arlington Heights. What role do you think you would be? I'd be the guy that's like, hey, guys, let's get along. No, God, don't do that. Guys, hey, that's someone else's. That's not yours. Come on, guys. What about you, John? Yeah, I think I'd be just about as milk toast as that, too. I think that <laughs> I would be the one that was trying to keep the peace. I would maybe be one of the people that was walking around and making sure that everyone was following the rules. Because in my deepest heart of hearts, uh, I am a rule follower and don't Me like when... <laughs> Too, John. It would be so upsetting to me, and it still is, when someone's trying to be like, okay, quiet down, like we have something to say, and people are just talking. Oh, my which gosh. Which goes well into adulthood. People don't just stop doing that. You know, like, it bothers me so much when it's like, we're a group of people, we need some information, and the person in charge is trying to relay information to us, and everyone won't shut up. It's like, yeah. just shut up, okay? And yeah. listen to the person that's talking. No. Listen to the teacher. 
Of course. My wife is 30 weeks pregnant, and I have not been as stressed about anything related to her pregnancy as I was about hearing people talking in a live performance that I was at a couple <laughs> weeks ago. And I was just like, guys, <laughs> stop, please. They're trying to perform. I know. And then as an adult, I'm like, I love rules, it turns Ugh. out. I love the structure of everything and that, like, look, everything's set up this way. Just follow the rules and we can all be okay, which, you know, I don't think totally relates to uh, how law and order in this country works, but I, God, I love rules. Yeah. I've never done heroin, but I can only imagine that it feels as good as a job well done. (laughs) Speaking of a job well done... We have a job to do to deliver some highlights, which we'll do right after this commercial break. And now a word from our sponsors. Hi, this is Ian, and I'm trying to do this commercial as quickly as possible. Please review and rate us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Hive Social at One and Done TV. Email us oneanddonepod at gmail.com with any suggestions or thoughts. If you haven't hit the skip forward 15 seconds button yet, I will be amazed. Okay, enjoy the show. Highlight. Highlight. Ian, we have a lot of highlights to cover for the society. This is a big cast. Arguably, I think the biggest cast that we've ever dealt with for a show. They can't even fit them all onto the poster, John. No. I counted. On IMDb, how many people do you think are credited with appearing in all 10 episodes? So principal cast members, I would say. Just principal cast members? Just principal cast members. So people that show up every episode have a line like that. 15. 16. Very close. Ah, nice. 16 people. But honestly, the 15th was a woman named Gwen, who I didn't really remember that much. So we won't be talking about Gwen. Uh, I think we should start (laughs) about... (laughs) I think we should start talking about uh, sort of the leaders, because there is certainly a family that is thrust into leadership roles early on in the show. It starts off with uh, Cassandra... And eventually then becomes her younger sister, Allie. Allie is arguably the most famous of the cast members. She's played by Catherine Newton, who is on Big Little Lies. Uh, The Vince Vaughn slasher body swapping movie, Freaky, as well. Which we've all seen, of course. I want to. I never did. I was watching an interview with her. Apparently... Detective Pikachu and this show came out on the same day. That's a big day for Catherine Newton. An international superstar for a week. Wow. Yeah. yeah that's, a, that's a lot of publicity. But they are sisters. Allie is the typical sort of younger sister for the shining light student body president, Cassandra, who is the one that sort of comes to the kids is like, you know, we don't know what's going on, but we need to put some rules or otherwise we are just going to run out of resources. She is a very much a natural born leader. Cassandra is. Right. And that's going all well and good until her cousin Campbell takes out a gun during her speech and shoots it in the air for no reason other than to just get everyone's attention and be like, 
I don't agree. And hey, I'm not going to hurt you. Why are you threatened by me pointing a gun at you? I'm not going to hurt anybody here. I just don't like that you're talking. All right, I'm going home. All right. Let's just get into Campbell. Campbell is arguably one of the scariest characters that I think we've ever covered on He's this the show. Antagonist for sure. He is deemed a psychopath by his brother, um, like a clinical psychopath with no feelings that only mimics feelings. Like a, we couldn't have pets in the house because Campbell kept cutting off their limbs kind of psycho. Yes. And his psychopathy translates into this show by just like being really controlling to people. I mean, you know, trigger warning for body harm, but he beats his girlfriend. Mm -hmm. It's very controlling to her. Um, Possibly kills a dog. We don't know. Uh, Gets the pretty boy from high school addicted to drugs Mm -hmm. uh, so he can control him. Uh, and be like, hey, you're an addict, so now you have to do what I say because I have what you want, Yeah, I guess. He has resting weasel face, but he also very much knows how to play everyone and knows the things to say in order to tap into those feelings that other people have that he clearly does not. Right, and he's the kind of character that at multiple points during the show, they contemplate killing because he just needs to be killed, even though he hasn't done anything yet that we know of. Well, except for the physical and emotional abuse that he has put onto his girlfriend. But even that... they don't know that. Exactly, because his girlfriend, Elle, who he kind of ropes into his uh, orbit because... He's like, we're both outsiders. You don't have any friends. I don't have any friends. I can keep you safe. That's his line that he keeps using over and over again. Or you're just like me. We're alike. And Elle was a ballerina and was kind of alienated from the rest of her school because she was so kind of focused on her, you know, young career. Uh, But that sort of kept her distant, at least emotionally, from everyone else. And anytime she starts to get closer to anyone, Campbell just kind of snatches her back, even multiple times when he's trying to find her after she runs away and he goes up to somebody who he knows is sort of harboring her, is like, you have something that belongs to me. And definitely talks about her as if she is uh, his property. But really admires her for trying to murder him, which we'll get into later. (laughs) So... Those are the sort of most powerful, I would say, figures. Um, But I guess we'll get into this. Uh, Partway through the show, Cassandra gets killed. Allie is the one that sort of takes over the leadership role begrudgingly because Cassandra was the leader. Allie was just in the leader's shadow. But she still sort of surrounds herself with an inner circle of uh, confidence. I think the closest is Will, who is... Allie's longtime crush in the new world, sort of mostly a consigliere type of figure, too. So there's also Gordy, who's the resident nerd. Uh, He is just researching everything there. Like someone gets pregnant. He is like, okay, well, I'll learn how to be a gyno, I guess. You know, everybody gets poisoned, like I've said at one point. Uh, He's like, okay, well, I'll just read up on how to 
help everyone. And then there's an astrological event that happens. And he's like, I guess I'll research this. And he's just, he's the research guy, right, John? Yeah, he is the guy that spends most of the time in the library. And he reads books like a nerd. But God bless us. We love Gordy. He's just trying his best. He clearly had a crush on Cassandra. And uh, then she went bye-bye. And He's uh, filling his purpose with that. You know, there's also similar. They didn't even give her an mm, what you say moment when she got shot, John. No, no, they did not. Uh, She just kind of got shot and bled uh, without any fanfare. Well, but they at least gave her the, oh, someone's shooting her and we don't know who it is. We're only seeing her point of view of it. Yes. Uh, Tune in next week to find out who, maybe. Yeah. There's so much suspense. Kelly, I would say, is also part of that kind of inner circle. Kelly is the one that ultimately becomes that uh, gynecologist because I I wouldn't trust Gordy's hands delivering a baby. I don't know about you. (laughs) Well, he's never touched a woman before. We do find that out the night Cassandra's murdered. That is true. Kelly, though, was part of the kind of popular crowd, but clearly sees the dangers of a lack of order within the society. And she also has a bit of a crush on Will. They have a bit of a back and forth. There's kind of a love triangle there. But overall, Kelly is just trying to be as supportive as possible, I would say in making decisions and helping out where she can. Yeah, Kelly is a bit of an enigma. She starts out one way, then kind of loses that storyline, and then starts talking to someone else, and then just kind of ends up meddling in things. Like, (laughs) I feel like Kelly either lost her way or they cast her a certain way and then kind of forgot about her and was like, let's just uh, make Kelly help out with the doctor stuff now. Yeah, you I know, get that. Let's insert Kelly into this scene. I don't know. She hasn't done anything in a while. Well, because she's initially tied to this other guy, Harry, who Harry is the typical rich kid who his house was always the party house. His parents had a lot of influence. He had the nicest cars that he sometimes trades for favors in this sort of new world. But ultimately, Harry is lacking a purpose in the new society because all the sort of power that he had accumulated was based on wealth. And when wealth goes away, Harry just kind of gets depressed. And so you have Kelly, who is initially tied to Harry uh, because they're dating, but they break up very early in the series. And while Harry is just off literally sleeping the episodes away, he, he disappears for long periods of time. Kelly is also kind of finding her own purpose without him. But I think it's kind of the two of their stories are sort of yin and yang of each other. You know, they're both uh, driven by finding that sense of purpose, whereas Harry sort of buries into himself. Kelly reaches outside of herself and finds her purpose in those new ways. Well, she's also the crux of some teen drama as well, because she's with Harry and then dumps him. But then there's still like a little bit of like, well, did we break up because now we're in this new world, so should we let each other go because maybe we should just keep something the same? And meanwhile, Will has always been really into her, so then that creates some friction between him and Harry. And, you know, it's just teen drama stuff for the most part. And then that kind of runs its course, and it's like, what are we going to do with Kelly? I don't know. Put her, uh, have her deliver the baby. Yeah. Put her in a cap and gown, and but like the doctor one, 
and right. Uh, right. you know scrubs scrubs i should know though that your word. wife is a nurse uh speaking of uniforms uh the other uniformed group of people in the town are the guard that is the sort of football team that has taken on the police role essentially they're always walking around with their letter jackets there's a few main ones. Uh, we can start with Luke because I think he's probably arguably the most innocent for the most part of the show. He is the quarterback that really wants to make sure that everything works. He can throw a tight spiral, but he never called the plays, John. Yeah. There's sort of a scale to where you get Clark, who is a, much more of a meathead. He has a girlfriend as well, too, but he crosses some very distinct lines between uh, what is okay and what is not in terms of exercising your power. Uh, he beats people up who are prisoners. He wants to maintain that power. And I think even one step further than him is Jason, who mostly scowls throughout the show. He is just the one who kind of slowly gets a little bit of a beard and just gets heavier eyes as if, like, I'm sick of this. Let's just kill people kind of thing. Yeah, he started off a bit cleaner cut, though. The guard in general has an interesting storyline because at first you think they're kind of going to be thugs, but then they're not. They're like the keepers of the peace. And... They were surprisingly like Connecticut Country Club to me at points yeah. earlier on, where I was like, okay, now the the jocks are going to like use their brute force to throw their weight around, and then they didn't. And uh, those two guys you just mentioned are both the epitome of like, hey, we're dumb and we're strong, and hey, we're, you can listen to us because we're strong, or eh, it's not a big deal, I don't care. And then they're like, oh, now we do care. And now we want to overthrow the the government. Because we are literally the biggest people that are in this town. Right. A phrase that Campbell keeps throwing out is, it's the dark ages. Brute force wins. Which, as with many things that Campbell says, is not wrong, but it's also not right. (laughs) It is is a dire situation. Not when it comes out of that mouth. Campbell, I kept calling little Corey Feldman. <laughs> he does have those like cute little pouty lips, but they're always smirking. And the hair though too. Oh, so quaffed. So beautifully yeah. gelled. Yeah. All the time. There is like one line that a character says where they say socializing beats socialism. Is this Riverdale or Soviet Russia? <laughs> they, they mentioned Riverdale in the show. Yeah. Wow. It's 2019, man. Well, one of my issues with this show was I was like, all these kids have been watching. The Walking Dead was one of the biggest shows for like five years. Some of these kids would have been watching it. I would have been so prepared for an end of the world scenario, you know? And they're just walking around like they they didn't consume a bunch of pop culture about this already. Yeah, but they're baby wasps. They didn't like actually prepare for it. They just have an understanding of what preparing for this would look like without actually right taking the steps to educate themselves on what they would do and what role they would have. I just wanted the one kid that was like, oh man, I played a scenario like this in Magic the Gathering, and here's what we did. You know, like- You wanted Jamie Kennedy in Scream. That's what you wanted. Uh, Maybe. I have not seen Scream in a long time. 
he's the one that is sort of pointing out all the meta things that are happening because of all the horror movies that he's watched. Right, right. Yeah, I, I did. I wanted a little bit of that because that's that's one of the high school kids, you know? Yeah, speaking of the other high school kids, we still have a couple clicks and uh, cliches to... Yeah, we, we need to talk about Helena, who is uh, Luke's girlfriend, nay, fiancé. There is nearly a child bride in this show. Well, they're the same age, <laughs> John. Are. I don't know if... There's also, I guess, a couple of these other sort of outs, just outside of the inner circle people, like Helena... And then Sam, who is Campbell's brother, who is uh, deaf uh, and gay. Uh, oh, and we haven't talked about Grizz. Grizz. Who, oh, man. Dude, I loved Grizz. Grizz was a great character. But Sam, between the character and the acting, every scene he was in, especially the first like seven episodes, was so compelling. He was so good. Yeah. That actor was so good. And they would give him long conversations with other characters, monologues, you know, crying, happy. It didn't matter. Every scene he was in was magnetic. Yeah, I fully agree. And I don't know. I really liked Sam in general because of all the sort of layers that were brought to him. And, you know, spoilers. He and Grizz get together. Grizz is another one of these members of the guard. We should probably say that, too. He's another football player who's closeted. He even says at one point, yeah, I was just planning on being in the closet until I went to college, but I guess I'm not kind of thing. He's also constantly quoting literature and plays and writing down like good lines from books he read or plays that he he likes that like apply to the situation and if somebody's sad he's like hey here's here's something from Walden Pond I like yeah Uh, I think it'll give you solace anyway he's always bringing up literature and it always it was either good or like a little bit eye rolly like um at one point Grizz leads an expedition out into oh we didn't even bring up the town is surrounded by woods. Oh, yeah. They and, cannot leave this town at all. Right. If they try to go into the woods during the first episode and immediately somebody dies of a snake bite. Yeah. So they're just like, we're trapped. They even have a drone that goes out and all it sees around the town is trees. They mm-hmm. can't find the ocean. They can't find anything. Yeah. So they are fully stuck here. And one more character I do think is important is Becca. So, fun fact, the actor who played Becca, do you know who her mom is? Nope. Pam Adlon. She's oh! Pam Adlon's daughter. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Little Bobby Hill. Yeah. So, Becca is sort of an artsy photographer who we find out very early is pregnant. Uh, she ends up having the baby later on in the show. But... She and Sam are best friends. Sam is not the biological father. We never find out who the biological father of Becca's uh, kid is, do we? No, and she does not want anyone to ask. No. Well, at least not Sam, because then she just pretends that Sam's the father. And everyone's like, but Sam, you're gay. And he's like, yeah, but, you know, one time. Mm -hmm. And everyone's just like, okay, I guess we're not going to ask any more questions about that, because... Who would? (laughs) Well, fair enough, too. I mean, they have a little discussion about, like, I don't know, sexuality is a spectrum. I don't know. know, And then that's it, and that's done. And I appreciated they didn't linger too long on that. John, 
Let's get to some of the madness, dude. Yeah. We've got to talk about the madness. Let's start right at the beginning. I mean, because it is a very, you know, general progression throughout the madness. I mean, we start and they get there and, hey, there's no parents. It's the start of the second act of Jimmy Neutron Boy Genius. There's cotton candy going everywhere. Uh, kids are drinking too much soda. And by drinking too much soda, I mean they are getting absolutely wrecked drunk in a church. And that's like the like five minutes into the show. Uh, they're throwing parties at Harry's house. They're hooking up. Uh, they're, you know, sharing houses. They're swapping spit. Uh, it's a big old party. Yeah, and... It's by the middle of episode two that I think Cassandra's like, hey, uh, it can't just be a party. We need rules because I think episode two is about 10 days later from Mm -hmm. when they're first dropped off. And I get it for a little bit. They're like, where are our parents? How long is this going to last? Something will happen, right? And then they realize, okay, we're stuck here. We don't know for how long. And... I don't know. So Cassandra's like, let's get everyone together and make rules. And then Harry's like, hey, everyone, let's play a game of Fugitive, (laughs) which is a group of kids run away and another group of kids hunt them with their cars. (laughs) And just tackle each other, basically. And it's like, hey, we won. The Fugitives cannot win, it seems like, in the game of Fugitive. No, there's no winning, and I don't know why they're playing at all, actually. And um, it's like this big distraction that all, basically, the rich kids really need to Mm -hmm. be like, we're depressed because our wealth means nothing. Yeah, but our cars still work, so let's go for that. And they have never had any responsibility, really. Not like this. No. So that is like such a boiling point, which leads to... Harry getting super drunk and being like, I hate that now we're in this communist society where we're sharing houses and afraid we're going to run out of electricity and water. And now we have to we have to share resources. Oh, no. For what? Survival? (laughs) He's like, I'll survive fine off of my parents, you know, stocked fridge that'll be gone in two days. I have a Porsche. I should be able to eat as many chips as I want. (laughs) There is a direct correlation between those two things. Uh, So in that sense, I think Harry's the hero. Not really at all. Harry's a monster. (laughs) There are a lot of these sort of distractions that are kind of focal points throughout the show. I mean, there's the prom. They throw a prom for themselves. Where Which would have been a smash success if Cassandra didn't get murdered at the end of it. Exactly. If she, only she could have stayed alive for another episode or two, I think everyone would have had a really good time. <laughs> and after Cassandra's murder, that's when Allie takes over and she's like, these are Cassandra's rules, but they're really Allie's rules. And as they sort of start to lay out this idea of we need a schedule, we need responsibilities, we need people serving certain roles, like taking out the trash and making communal meals and things like that. That's when people underneath the surface start to get a little pissed off. That's when things start to get more violent, in particular, after Cassandra shot, you know, because apparently a lot of parents have gun safes in uh, Connecticut. And so my favorite thing about that kind of episode where they're trying to find all the guns and round them up so that nobody has guns and therefore, you know, everyone can feel a little safe is there's a moment that's a big boiling point where, I don't know, 
somebody drops a gun and it goes off. And so there's this sort of standoff between the kids that have the guns. And one of them is clearly holding like a German Luger that their grandpa got in World War II. Oh, that's so funny. You're right. (laughs) I didn't even think about it. But it's like these are the guns that are, you know, potentially lying around these like old Connecticut homes. Right. Uh, This standoff happens when somebody drops their gun and it goes off. So then two kids with guns in the cafeteria that aren't related to this other gun going off end up just pointing their guns at each other, being like, you drop your gun. No, you drop your gun. No, you drop your gun. And everyone be like, everyone drop the guns. And they're like, no, you drop your gun. And that was the gun episode, I guess, wasn't it? It was It was the gun episode. Episode four was confiscate the guns. And episode five was the trial of Dewey. Yeah, so there is one kid who we learn about an episode after Cassandra's shot that one kid essentially confesses to Harry. Harry at one point made some comments getting drunk, being like, ah, I think we'd all be better off if Cassandra was dead, then we'd all be a little bit happier. And this kid, Dewey, who's this meek, gingerish kid who nobody really remembers calls Cassandra the C-word and essentially says, glad I got rid of her, at least I could get as a thank you sort of thing. So they put on a whole trial. He's like, oh, I didn't do it until he gets found guilty. And then he basically calls all the girls bitches and gives them the finger. And you're like, oh, Dewey, you uh, you simple incel, exactly. Yeah, it's a motivation in society for violence that these these men... These, these men, these misogynistic men. men. I mean, he does say, like, I sh- we shouldn't have to listen to any women. And everyone's like, ah, oh, boo. And he's like, ah, oh, I love your hate. Let me drink it for my sustenance because I'm going right. on hunger strike. But then it makes them be like, okay, I guess we're going to execute you then. And Grizz can't pull the trigger. So who is it? It's Allie, Luke, and... Jason. Right. That yeah. Two of the guard and then the leader all end up shooting... At him. And you know what? He's not such a tough guy then when no, he's begging he... for his life, John. Okay. Yeah. Let's get into that part of things because I will say there are many times where this show is very, very difficult to watch. Uh, that firing squad scene being one. There's also an extended scene at Thanksgiving. Basically, Elle's idea to get out of her abusive relationship with Campbell is to poison him with a pumpkin pie. But Campbell clearly sees through that. And instead of confronting Elle and saying, hey, why'd you poison my pie? Uh, Campbell, clearly the uh, just the bell of the ball, comes into the communal Thanksgiving dinner that they're all having. And he's like, hey, guys, Elle made a pie. Eat up, everybody. And Elle essentially poisons uh, most of, or not most of, I'd say about 10 people in the town because they eat this pie. I'm going to disagree with you. I don't think Campbell knew that the pie was poisoned. Oh, uh, he, dude, he no. knew. No, oh, he didn't. Come on. Yes, he did. No, he didn't. He had that he stupid. He genuinely got, got roped into going to Thanksgiving. No, he did not. No, Elle never once wanted to go to Thanksgiving because she was like, I'm going to kill you slowly in our house together, and we're going to stay away from everyone else, and I'll get to join my non-friends. No, he was trying to do something nice because he had to, not because he wanted to, but no. because he understands that people do have to do nice things for other people so you can control them. Hard pass. He would have had a and slice of that damn pie. It took a while for him to realize it afterwards, too. He didn't eat any of the pie. She made the pie for him. If All right. He, 
he email us one and done pod at gmail.com. Let us know did Campbell know the pie was poisoned? I'm going to say no. I'm pretty sure Natalie would agree with me. She oh, that's not fair. I'm going to have her text you later about okay. her thoughts on this. Okay, so you're going to tell her what to say, Campbell? Yes. Is that what you're telling me? Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> She's poisoned many pies, but it's not because I'm Campbell. <laughs> but, man, those scenes, like the poison scene, like the firing squad scene, they drag out the sort of misery of the characters and the consequences of the decisions that they are making. With the firing squad scene, especially because the first time they go to shoot him, they all miss yeah. because I think at least two of them are closing their eyes while they yeah. pull the trigger. Mm-hmm. And then they have to do it again, mm-hmm. which really amped up that drama there. And the poison scene, lots of people go to the hospital where uh, Kelly's helping them out. Bless Kelly. She read those textbooks and she's doing her best. But the poison too, that kind of leads to a need to have an election for leaders too. Uh, And this sort of highlighted one of the big things that I appreciated about the sort of protagonists of the show. You know, Allie, for all intents and purposes, is the quote unquote hero. But she is not without fault throughout the entire show. She has this position thrust upon her. And she opens up the town to an election to sort of either sort of strengthen her resolve and, you know, give power back to the people or to let somebody else step up. But the other people that are stepping up are Harry, who just wants everything for himself, and this girl, Lexi, who all she wants is to watch Allie burn because, I mean, and I think it's pretty understandable, Lexi had a really terrible time being interrogated for something that she didn't do and it's it's messy it is a messy messy show Lexi is an interesting antagonist near the end because they do an improv show after Thanksgiving that just turns into her basically saying there's a witch in in the woods and then calls out everything Allie has done. And they're like, it was just the improv got away from us guys. It's like, no, you had something to say. And by the way, I think we've talked to you like three times before this scene. She was just like the voice of dissent in some of the meetings where she's like, I think that's a bad idea. And everyone's like, shut up, Lexi, (laughs) like sit back down. Right. But Lexi uh, really finds her power and is able to, put up quite a run for Allie's money for mayor near the end of the season. Yeah. And it is clearly very post Trumpy sort of ideas too, because Allie has conversations with Lexi. It's like, you can get a lot of people on your side by hating me, but what are you actually going to do when you get in power? Right. And that is a big thrust of that. Yeah. It's just like whip everybody into a frenzy, get them excited, get, You know, we all have a common enemy, which is our leader. But then it's like, okay, well, what are you going to do? And then guess what? There is no election because uh, Campbell and Harry and the guard organize a coup against Allie and lie and say she was going to steal the election. This is 2019, by the way. Yeah. And um, they basically force Lexi into a false co-mayor agreement with Harry and really Campbell's pulling all the strings. Yeah. 
Campbell's sitting there with his legs crossed, uh, smiling with his arms wide open as if it were a Creed song, and uh, just letting the hate in. My goodness, this is a messy, complicated show. Uh, but what did we think about it? We'll get to that right after this commercial break. And now a word from our sponsors. Project Skeptic brings you PodFest 2023, April 23rd through the 29th. Seven episodes in seven days. Featuring Brent Hand from Hysteria 51, Justin Zinger from Zing This, Andy Hart from Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time Podcast, David Flora of Blurry Photos, and Ron of the Twisted Ten. Be there. April 23rd through the 29th on Project Skeptic. John, so many societies that start off in a new land don't last, okay? We've got all of these lost civilizations and was it the Roanoke disappeared, right? Uh, in the 15, 1600s. I don't know a lot about it. Anyway, you move to a new land and then you set up shop and then you're like, hey, where'd all this pestilence and famine come from? <laughs> oh, yeah, here's winter too. <laughs> so, John, would this society survive? Would you renew? I don't know if this society would survive, but I would absolutely renew. I found this show to be completely riveting. I remembered little bits and bobs from when I saw it when it first aired in 2019, but revisiting it, it's so layered and complicated and the character motivations are messy and I just found it to be so engaging from start to finish. And yeah, some stuff is a little bit ridiculous and they sort of amp things up as it goes along, but they really honored the tension and the sort of characters and how they were evolving and how they felt within their new places in a way that I never really agreed with many of the characters' decisions, but I also didn't need to because they did such a good job setting these people up without necessarily thrusting character traits upon them. So I really loved the dips and dives, and I was just completely like on edge, especially throughout the last like few episodes where I did not know where it was going to go. It was definitely building toward boiling points and I was really excited to see where this one went and it really bummed me out when it was not renewed. So yes, I would have renewed. Uh, it honestly makes me upset because I think this is one of the best we've done on this show. And I think it's one of the best versions of that kind of Netflix show that I think has been so kind of copy and pasted ever since like 13 reasons why became a big hit mm. uh you know and then riverdale years after and... that. yeah well riverdale wasn't a netflix show but you know i'm oh. talking specifically about it was on netflix for a bit but it's a cw show um netflix had these sort of 
we're going to subvert high school cliches and deepen characters. And honestly, a lot of it felt really melodramatic, but this somehow I think elevated beyond that. And for that, I gave it immense marks. I really, really, really love the show, despite how very, very difficult it is to watch at times. Ian, how about you? Are we uh, going to vote the same way uh, in this uh, society we are creating? Would you renew? I will do something for the first time out of 99 episodes we've recorded, John. And that's between this one and done TV and when we originally did the show in 2015. Oh, okay. This is a first. Okay. I'm going to push. No call. What? I abstain. No, you can't do that. I abstain. You know I'm what? You cannot not do that. No. Voting either way. Oh my God. Make a dis- draw a line in the sand. Let me tell you why, John. It's not going to be good I'm, enough. I'm Whatever N-A it is, stop it. It's because watching the show, so much of the teen drama is very cheese ball. And especially the first five episodes, I thought like really were twice as long as they needed to be. And it frustrated me. And yet, when I think about the show and when I talk about all the highlights and the story nuggets, it is undeniably compelling. And they were really good at doing some some of the cliffhangers. We're really, really good at being like, all right, we got to watch the next episode. I watched the whole thing with Natalie and she just kept being like, next episode next we gotta watch the next one yeah i would say of the like 10 episodes or nine cliffhangers i think there was one that maybe wasn't that much of a cliffhanger right it's undeniably compelling but i think a lot of that has to do with that it's lord of the flies and that it is a great story already and they're just doing it in a different way um so it loses some points for me for that but I kept wanting it to not be Lord of the Flies anymore. I kept waiting for it to subvert my expectations in some way. Like when they played Fugitive, I was like, okay, something crazy is going to happen and someone's going to get decapitated or something. And no one got decapitated, John. And I felt like throughout the show, characters and situations constantly met my expectations. And that was very frustrating for me. They plant the nugget at the at the beginning of the episode. And then guess what? It's exactly what you thought was going to happen at the end of the episode. Oh, I disagree with that uh, for the most part because, well, let me just give you one, I think, key example. The end of the show, the sort of build up to this election. We think that it's going to be uh, Allie versus Harry. Lexi storms in. And sort of takes up the whole whole swell of things. So then we think it's going to be Lexi. But then we hear this notion of a coup. And Harry is going to take power with the guard and with Campbell. But then they bring in Lexi because they know. So it ends up being Lexi and Harry together at the end. I mean, that's about the last kind of two episodes or so. Where they sort of zig when you think they're going to zag in terms of how something is going to get resolved. And I think that's just one example. I don't think any of those character motivations were out of left field, though. No, they weren't. Like, given what we know about the three of them, like, okay, it worked out that way, sure. And then we see that Lexi's now in over her head, and in the second season, her and Allie would become more allies, even though she's been her antagonist now. So I just didn't 
think like there were many uh, situations where the characters actually surprised me. Well, because I think they did such a good job at setting up the motivations and not necessarily, you know, making us suspect the actions that they are going to take on those motivations. It That's the thing I really liked about the show was that you had these really well-established characters and when they did something, no, it didn't surprise you, but you also didn't necessarily predict that that is exactly how they were going to respond. They were confronted with something and because of who they were, that's how they responded. And so how they would respond to that adversity would make sense. Yes, but when a scene is like 10 minutes when it could have been two and Harry just keeps being Harry and Campbell just keeps being Campbell. It just kind of wore me down. I was like, I don't want to keep watching these people be for 10 minutes at a time. Like it just, it was frustrating to watch, but it's, it is compelling and I'm pushing and that's my answer. Okay. There is a line that Allie says to Lexi uh, when Lexi is trying to kind of seize power, where Allie says, you are half right about everything. And that is worse than being wrong because that makes you dangerous. And that's how I feel about your response right now. I You're felt half that, that right line specifically, were... that line specifically meant nothing. Because it does. What does she mean by that? Because she's going Why into is this something. Why so dangerous? Because she's going into something without thinking everything through. You know, even if you're wrong about something, you're doing it with conviction. Lexi is thinking about it partway, and that's what Allie has seen as something that is dangerous. There's plenty to talk about, and it is a good show, but it's really frustrating to me. And I just, I really, truly, I can't in good conscience say renew or not renew. I can't do it. Well, I despise you right now. I know. Also, kind of a twist, huh? Shut up. Twist. Shut up. It's time for the Dunzo Awards. (laughs) That's right. It's time for the Dunzo Awards. These are the superlatives that we give out to every show that we watch. It could be the best. It could be the worst. I guess it could be nothing now because Ian has taken all (laughs) meaning away from anything that we have built together. But still... We have two Dunzos that we could give out to anything we want, or I guess we could just share. (laughs) Fart. Ian, what's your first Dunzo? My first award is the You Can't Say That Award, which goes to episode four, where all the men kept promising to keep the women safe, and all the women kept being like, how could you possibly say that to me? You can't, that's not true. One of the quotes was, Nothing's going to happen, I promise. That is such a weird thing to promise. You can't promise that unless you knew something I don't, which they didn't know anything they didn't. And I just loved that all the women kept pushing back on all these men trying to be like, hey, babe, don't worry about it. And they'd be like, how can you know? How can you know anything right now? Nobody knows anything. Stop just trying to be some tough guy idiot and trying to console me over nothing, you idiot, 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 idiot guys. They were very, very dumb at times. Yes. Also, just the dumb idiots like Luke and Will, you know, were saying to their girls, like, don't worry, babe, I'll keep you safe. And they're like, from what? A gun? Yeah. There's people that have guns that uh, we haven't found yet. Right. And apparently murderers on campus. John, what is your first Dunzo? 
My first Dunzo award is the Forrest Gump award, and that I'm going to give to the sad girl that was waiting at the bus stop in the second episode. Oh, oh she broke my heart, redhead. man. Yeah. Oh, that killed me. So as Ian mentioned, there's a 10-day time jump between the first and second episode. That 10th day is technically when their parents are supposed to pick them up. And so as they're kind of walking through the town square, there's just this one girl who I don't even think she gets a name. She's just sitting there with her lunch. And she's like, well, today's the day that our field trip is over. So I'm just waiting for the bus to come back. And you're like, oh, honey, like do what you got to do. But uh, you are so very wrong. There is a lot more at stake here. It really just broke my heart, honestly. And they did a really good job at, I think, cutting back to her without making it so obvious. And, you know, it starts to rain and that's when she finally leaves and we see her leave. But they don't overplay that hand. They just leave it there as a thing where, yeah, this is affecting a lot of people in very, very different ways. And some people just need something to believe in. And why stop them? So I really like hurt for that girl. Like that sucked. She clearly had a date on the calendar and she's like, that's how she coped with everything with all the change with how horrible this real situation was she was like well everything's going to be over because we're supposed to get picked up by the buses in 10 days right guys right guys they're coming the buses are coming for us Mm -hmm. they certainly must be coming for us we're going to see our parents please 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 i relate to that (laughs) ian what's your second dunzo uh, the Blue Balls Award, that goes to Gordy. Oh, Him Gordy. and Cassandra were supposed to hook up after the prom. He walked home beforehand to, I guess, prepare for sex. I don't know. He was so excited to go to the prom with her. And then she got murdered. Mm-hmm. And he was like, should you be walking home alone? She's like, nah, it's fine. Even though at the beginning of the episode, she was like, at what point will women not be able to walk home alone? And then it was like... Chekhov's walk home alone. <laughs> you knew it was going to happen and you knew it was going to be bad. Um, and then also, uh, just going back to Lord of the Flies again, it's like they killed Piggy in the third episode, John. They killed Piggy. They did. But Cassandra was, I think, kind of an interesting take on the Piggy sort of murder thing because Piggy was like a full-on innocent. He was just right. the sort of glasses nerd that uh, falls and dies whereas Cassandra was clearly like a target for not just this misogyny but for anyone that was trying to cling on to any sort of hope that they could get their lives back. John what about your second Dunzo that I remembered to ask you about this time? (laughs) My second Dunzo award I'm going to go back to the sort of senior superlatives. I'm going to give it to cutest couple And I'm going to give that to Sam and Grizz. They made me so happy when they were together. I really liked their sort of interactions. Sam early on in the show is basically saying, you know, somebody's got to be gay, but I don't know who it could be. And I wouldn't be into them. Exactly. I wouldn't be into them. So he's sort of given up all this hope. And then Grizz goes out of his way to kind of connect with Sam in a really sort of sweet way. Grizz learned some things to say in British sign language, which Sam doesn't speak because he only speaks ASL. It was the only book he could find. Yeah, exactly. To be fair. It was. But the line that 
Grizz says to Sam when he's like, how do you say kiss me? It's such a cheeseball line, but it just like warmed my heart. It was so sweet. I really liked the two of them together. Yeah, and they were together all night while everyone else was getting poisoned. Aw. What a night to be like, you know what? Forget about my phone. I'm not looking at my messages. Yeah. Let's just enjoy each other's company, right? Yeah. I mean, okay, Grizz was a little bit hard on Sam when he found out about the baby situation. Well, but Grizz was definitely, I think, averse to this idea of being vulnerable at this stage in his life in the first place. I mean, he clearly had an understanding of who he was and an understanding of who he was going to be. And I think because of the situation that kind of accelerated things. I mean, Grizz at one point during the prom scene is drunk with the rest of the guard. And he's like, guys, I wasn't going to be friends with any of you after high school. And everyone's like, oh God. But then you realize it's because he sees himself as sort of becoming a more fully realized version of himself when he has the separation from his hometown. Right. And being good at football was just something he could do to kind of hide. Yeah. Or at the very least, maybe not actively hide, but just sort of avoid putting himself out there. So when he did put himself out there for Sam and to have that feel like he's already got this connection to somebody and something else in Becca and her baby, uh, I I felt the hurt that Grizz felt in that way. Oh, for sure. I mean, it was understandable. I was just like, Grizz. I know. Sam says something to him like, um, I'm sorry I come with strings attached or something. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. We all got baggage. Exactly. So, you know, these kids can be jerks, but hey, at least you get why they're doing the things that they're doing. But why did Netflix cancel the society? Let's uh, talk about that after this commercial break. And now a word from our sponsors. The Society premiered on Netflix in May of 2019 and was canceled by Netflix in August of 2020. There are two big things that happened in between those two dates. One, in July... I got a credit card. Oh, you did? (laughs) Did you? That's one of the big things that happened that year was I got a credit card. I'm so glad. I'm so glad you got that (laughs) credit card. What was the credit card? Uh, Capital One. Oh, nice. I think I got a Capital One card around that time, too. Wow. I know. Look at us go. The big thing I'm thinking of that it relates to this (laughs) show, though, is that in July of 2019, the society was renewed for a second season. It was a big hit for the platform. Uh, Christopher Kaiser, in multiple interviews, said that he had a five-season arc for the show, and it seemed like Netflix was invested in that. But, of course, the other thing that happened was the COVID-19 pandemic. What was that again? I don't remember. Uh, It was that sicky thing that people kind of were coughing all over, you know? Oh, yeah, I vaguely recall. Yeah, we, we try to forget But Netflix did not. Uh, They were going to go into production on season two in March of 2020. And they got shut down. They weren't in L.A. or New York or anything or even Canada. They filmed on location in Massachusetts. So it would have been something that they had to fly people out to. So obviously they delayed that 
start date, but they had a sort of tentative start date, I guess, for September of 2020 to pick things back up because the entire second season had definitely been written at that point. But yeah, in August, Netflix canceled both The Society and did you ever see the show I Am Not Okay With This? No, but I'm aware of it. It's really good. I think we should probably do it at some point, but they canceled both of those on the same day. Uh, I Am Not Okay With This was a 2020 teen drama that also was sort of softly picked up for a second season, but Mm. uh, they had to cancel because of the issues with getting a production going for the society. And I think that there were a couple big factors here in terms of Netflix's decision not to delay. I mean, the aging has got to be one of them, right? That was a big thing that I was thinking about. For sure, the aging. I mean, these kids are all clearly, you know, early 20s playing late teens, but you can only play that for so long. The, I think, pro for this is that a lot of the show is shot outside. You know, there are a lot of outdoor scenes in the show. But when it comes to COVID stuff, there are sometimes scenes with 100 plus people at once and they don't have like sort of day player extra things you see the same kids over and over and over again even if they're just in the background so i'm sure that from like a COVID protocol perspective that would have been a nightmare to try to coordinate yeah uh, in terms of making sure that the same people are coming back just to be in the background over and over again for a multiple month shoot any other things that you could think of that would make it sort of more difficult uh, COVID-y times? No, I think that the aging is a big thing for me. I mean, that's what made Pen15 be shorter than it was supposed to be. I mean, it just makes sense. I do have a friend that played a high school cheerleader at the age of 30 in a Lifetime movie, but she is skinny. She kept skinny and she's tiny, like as a person. She could do that, and it was fine. But most of these guys, especially, I think, are just, they're not keeping that baby face for much longer. Yeah. Jason episode one looked like he was about 19. Jason episode 10 looked like he was about 46. I know exactly what you're talking about. They started out as babies, and they grew into adults in the middle of the first season. So, Also, given the drama at the end of the first season... I don't know how you really justify, like, let's say they do a three-year time jump or something to season two. I don't know. I mean, so much of what makes it interesting is them dealing with the situation as teenagers becoming young adults and finding their lives. Mm -hmm. We don't want to jump to several years later where it's a new situation and some people are married and new people are together and you know, someone's died because uh, they went off to do a movie and they can't shoot the second (laughs) season. You know, like, we don't need that. This show is very much about the evolving process from the beginning. And I don't think you can justify a time jump. And I don't think it works with how they would have looked by the time they started shooting. Well, they were going to already build a time jump into the second season, it seemed like. Not as drastic as what you're talking about, but the idea was that the first season ended with winter about to start. And they were filming in March because they were going to have the second season start in, like, summertime. 
Mm-hmm. And that was kind of the idea. So there was definitely going to be at least a bit of a jump there. And I will say, too, one thing we didn't address, there's a huge time jump in the middle of the first season. It's like season, five months, I think. Five months between episodes six and seven. In terms of what the second season would have been, Christopher Kaiser gave away some details about it. Towards the end of the first season, Grizz finds this uh, piece of land that they can actually farm and fish and do stuff with to be a little bit more sustainable. He was going to call that the outpost and there was going to be sort of a warring thing between this outpost and the town itself. Uh, Christopher Kaiser said about season two that it was going to be talking about the way we create caste systems in an underclass. He said it had big political implications, but also a lot of new relationships and also resolving some of the questions about who was in power and who wasn't. That makes sense because a lot of what I looked at online was about Animal Farm as well. And I Mm. was all Lord of the Flies about this. And I'm like, oh, of course, as they're like democracy, communism, dictatorship, co-mayor situation, of course we're going to get into Animal Farm. They're obsessed with English literature. Just look at what Grizz is saying every episode. Listen to Grizz. Always listen to Grizz. So, yeah, it was a... I think a tough decision for everyone involved. And I mean, it's a show that was not just like produced by Netflix, but owned by Netflix too. So they couldn't really shop it around after that. Do you have any gauge of how popular season one was? Because I know that Catherine Newton said that her like Instagram and Twitter followers jumped like a hundred thousand people in a day. Mm -hmm. And I heard a story from a friend of a friend who's a teacher that she was like, wow, when the society came out, all of the kids would watch it. And then they were obsessed with it. So they got their English teacher into it and they would just talk about it mm-hmm. every week. And it was kind of like, you know, an English course for them. But there yeah. was a teenage fervor for this show. Oh, yeah. And I think that Netflix was definitely looking for that kind of show too i mean 13 reasons why i think it just had its final season shortly before Mm. the society i mean stranger things there's you know three years sometimes in between seasons so they can only hang their hat on that so much well sometimes covid happens sometimes a pandemic happens you know they also said that too as part of season two they probably would have roped in some covidy anxieties to uh the tone of the show Sure. Maybe an illness goes around or something like that. I saw that there's going to be a graphic novel, though. Oh, I did not see that. I think that's really cool, though. Like August 2022, I saw an article or maybe a Reddit post about it. So maybe that's happening. I didn't see too much about it. but Yeah, I mean, there's clearly a lot to, I think, mine from here. You know, you get the sort of central mystery of where they are and why they are there, which we get little nuggets of explanations here and there. Clearly there was some sort of deal that the parents of this town made with a corporation that went south and that could have been the thrust for essentially cross-dimensionally kidnapping these kids. Cross-dimensionally kidnapping 200 children is impressive. a lot to do over just... $1.5 million. Hey, they really needed that. 
that's all the evidence we have for the dispute <laughs> between this one guy and the parents of the kids. $1.5 million. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take them through a wormhole. <laughs> I'm going to somehow get 10 buses full of kids all through a wormhole and then drop them off. And then all the bus drivers disappear too. Yep. I don't know. I haven't thought this through. I'm just really angry about this $1.5 million. <laughs> It's a lot of money to some people, Ian. I don't think we could all just like throw blank checks around like you. No, but he's spending billions and billions of dollars creating this wormhole. Maybe. Hey, maybe he know. already found the wormhole. We don't know. Again, I think it's really interesting that Christopher Kaiser had like a whole five season arc for this thing. And honestly, I would have loved to see how that sort of played out. And uh, what's great about this turning into a graphic novel is if that happens is that, you know, you won't have the first five episodes that really should have just been three episodes. It was a little long. So does that mean you wouldn't renew or are you just no, sticking I'm to I'm pushing, push? John. I'm pushing. Uh, Some empty space in there, if you ask me. There's empty space, all right. I had one final thought before we go. Ian, do you remember if you got any senior superlatives from our class? I did. I got third most likely to be famous, third nice. funniest. And I think I won Best Couple with my old comedy partner, but I can't remember. Or maybe we came in second. Yeah, I think it was second. Right. And that was like something that the... Newspaper. I was the one that was tallying the votes. Yes. Right. But you had to like get our permission to be like, hey, we keep getting votes for you two. Is that like okay? Yeah. Are you guys and cool we're like, with that? sure, yeah. fine. Did you get any? You were second best butt, weren't you? Damn straight I was. I mean, I, there was no way I could have beaten Tadgy, but... Famously, John, you do have a lot of junk in the trunk, as one girl at the water park in eighth grade said about you. And it's not like it stuck with me for the last, you know, <laughs> 15 years. She had years. no idea what she was doing when she said that. No idea. No idea. No idea that this is something that would just ring like a chorus of just uh, self-doubt well, is it true? in my... I mean, is it true? do I... Do I have a lot of drug? I you mean, do. Of course I do. You yeah. do. I know. I'm very proud of my butt. Thank you very much. Uh, Ian, where can people find us? You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube Shorts, and TikTok at One and Done TV. Email us, oneanddonepod at gmail.com, especially if this is your first time listening. Uh, I know that The Society is a really popular show, and I would... Love to hear your thoughts on it. I really do. Any of the drama, any thoughts on my push, uh, any thoughts on John's junk in his trunk and how that would have translated to your high school experience, anything like that. Um, you can send me money at Hamilton on Venmo, and you can, um, what you say... Sandra got shot twice in the abdomen. Oh, and there was a lot of blood. Yeah, it was a long bleed-out scene. It it gave me mad uh, OC vibes and Queens from, you know, the pilot of the show Queens where someone gets shot, but we don't know who or how or why for seven to eight episodes. Uh, I mean, I'm a nasty bitch for life, but I would not put these two shows in the same sentence. <laughs> well they did the same thing though john they did the same thing we will be back next week with episode 50 uh which we have declared to be undeclared judd apatow's follow-up to freaks and geeks you mm -hmm. heard of it hope so because we're going to be talking about it until then 
I think it's back to school. Oh, please, no. I hated school. Brought to you by Lack of Hustle Media.